Welcome back to Shredder's Not Dead. If it makes you bang your head, we'll talk with them more about them. And I'm very pleased to say I'm joined by Robin from the ocean today. Uh, got to hey, admit man. straight up, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> this is uh, pretty exciting to have you on. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. So uh, how are you doing? Pretty good. I'm in Spain at the moment, um, recovering from our record release party in uh Palma de Mallorca last Friday, <laughs> so I'm very good. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I imagine with a record that good, the uh, the release party must have been something as well. It was just a private gathering, really. But um, yeah, no, we did. We decided not to do anything official this time around. We're going to tour in uh, September, October again. But we all really wanted to uh, have a bit of a time off touring and seeing each other for a while um, after we got home from the carnival tour in february so um yeah we, we played 155 shows last year so now is like the time when everyone's just doing their own thing and that's good <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and before we get into the technical details of the album and all that i do have to ask uh, how's loic's legs <laughs> oh he's he's doing very well um he's been on on well like he broke them in march last year he's been on crutches still in june when we were touring with psychonaut and pg lost and then during the summer he was kind of like back up on his feet but still um you know taking taking it slow but ever since then um he's been fully back to back to normal fully recovered yeah excellent and i have to say as uh, as someone who's seen you guys multiple times and i've uh, seen the antics that loic likes to get up to uh Ari crowd surfing like he does was the uh was the attitude in the band a little bit of like I can't believe this didn't happen sooner or in a way yes but ironically it didn't happen uh that way like as most people thought it's not that he went into the crowd during a show and just like popped on the floor like it happened um like long after the end of the show while packing down lights it was just a very unfortunate um thing that could have happened to anyone anytime oh. So, uh, which is also why I don't think he has learned his lesson from it. Like, um, he was still <laughs> going out, out on the last tour. So I think he's, uh, yeah, I think it's just been like an unlucky accident, really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. I'm not surprised the rumor that went around uh, about it, it being is a stage dive thing. But... never happened during a gig before. Like, I've seen him yep. um, jump off things that are like way too high for people to jump off. <laughs> and uh, he always got away with it, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, on to Holocene. Uh, it's an amazing record. Uh, it's still very much a the ocean record, but I think the big talking point to come out of it is the synth heaviness of it. And if that's a side of the ocean that people listening now really like, you're going to love this one. Uh, it's still really crushing. Um, but just wondering, was there always going to be uh, a shift for this new record towards a more, um, shall we say, uh, ambient, like, to prefer uh, to push the ambient stuff more towards the front uh or was that just the natural sound for where you wanted the themes of the albums to go i think it's something that just happened um like this album is different in many ways um and that's already starting with the writing process so um it, like it, it all started during mid lockdown in, in the fall of 2020 when peter or synth guy started sending me ideas and in the beginning i wasn't even sure if that was ocean stuff you know it was just something that that i liked that inspired me so i started adding guitars and drums over it and then we were bouncing ideas back and forth for a while and at the end of that process was this record and then 
like when we went back to listen to it, we were like, oh yeah, this is absolutely an ocean record, you know, but it wasn't really it planned in a way that we were setting out to write a new album. It was just, you know, us fooling around with stuff. And I think that was good because it took a bit of the pressure away and um, just made us really get in the zone without any strings attached. And that, um, that was a a good thing in the end. Um, So it's, it's different in a way that um, it's the only ocean record so far that didn't start with me writing riffs and sitting down with my guitar, but that I was actually working with things that somebody else had um, already kind of developed to a point of um, not much detail structure and arrangement wise. It was usually just like two parts per song, sometimes three parts per song, but uh, developed to a great level of detail concerning sound and production already. Cause this is how Peter is working. Like he's very much focused on already having everything sound like it, it's going to sound um, in its final studio sound basically. Well, I'm more of a, I have more of a punk rock approach, you know, like I can re- record mm-hmm. a riff with guitar rig and I can imagine how it's going to sound later. So it's, um, it's been a different approach to, to writing altogether. And um, Peter's role in the band has um, kind of changed a lot over the course of the past four or five years. Um, he was previously our lighting guy for, um, for four years. And then he only joined the band in 2018 for Fenrir's Zoic one. And on that record, he's already playing on every track, but it's mostly things that are more in the background that are kind of like fattening the guitar sounds and uh, not so much lead stuff. And I think it just took him some time to find his place in the band and also for us to, to find that place for him somehow. And now he's like, no, it's, it's, it's very clear. And that's why this record is more daring on the synths end and on the electronics end. And it's like, it's become more of like a, like a prime instrument for us to work with, to compose around, to even start a song with like on this record, almost every track is like initially based on synth ideas. So um, yeah, a, a lot has changed and it's just been a, a not again, not like a conscious process, but just like an, an evolution that happened within the band and Holocene is a result of that evolution. Hmm. And I think it fits really well the way that the uh, the arc of the, you know, the Phrenerozoic albums went and then into this sort of uh, bookend album um, in terms of the epochs of, of time. But I think the thing that really intrigued me listening to it is how well this uh, the shift in songwriting came across. And now that we're talking about it, I can really hear exactly what you're saying, where this new record almost sounds like someone has taken an existing electronica record um, you know, thinking of you know, some of the classics like by Justice, that sort of thing, and have fit, as you would say, like a punk or a metal elements over the top. Uh, and it's a big change from where this album started. But I suppose uh, lyrically, did this work? This feels like it worked really quite naturally for where uh, this album was always going to go. Is that fair to say, do you think? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um I mean, there's like a if you if you look at what we're listening to um, privately within the band, um, we're all listening to a lot of electronic music, both contemporary as well as old stuff. We're all huge fans of Massive Attack, Mezzanine, and like you know early two thousands trip hop and things like that. So we listen to a lot of that stuff in the band. So for us, it's not not a far stretch at all. Um, and we've always been talking about um, like making a record that kind of like takes some of those elements and uh, puts them in, into the context of contemporary heavy music and uh so it's it's been something we've been 
excited about for a while, but there was no conscious decision to make a record like this now that that just happened when Peter started sending me ideas. But I guess that is an expression of where, where we are, you know, personally, what we listen to. And, and um, for us, this always made a, a lot of sense. And in that way, it's just a very natural type of uh, evolution that happened. I do have to say, though, that it's not necessarily a direction for things to come. There is a second record that's also already written that we haven't recorded yet. But it was written around the same time as Holocene. And that is focused more on riffs, I would say. Like it's uh, maybe um, continuing more along um, the lines of the first half of Fenrozoic 2, while Holocene is connecting better with the second half of Fenrozoic 2, I would say. So there is another record in the making, and um, that is uh, a bit less electronic again. Um, so it's it's not necessarily a direction for things to come. We just like to challenge ourselves with every record and not repeat the same old formula and just try, try something else and set different paradigms for, you know, that specific record that we're working on. And then uh, we might completely overhaul that with the next one, you know, and, uh, and do something else. But that's what's just essentially very important for keeping it interesting for us. And if we don't mm. manage to keep it interesting for us, then we're going to break up as a band, you know, so that's very <laughs> important. And uh, that's why uh, our listeners just have to bear with us on that end. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I have to say, I mean, I'm I'm still trying to digest what I've just heard with Holocene, but I'm absolutely thrilled to hear there's another one uh, not too long on the way. And Oh, I didn't say that. It, it might be long on the way because okay. we haven't started recording it yet and we're very right. quick with writing. But uh, when it comes to recording and like production and mix and artwork, that's what really takes time. So Holocene was written within the course of two weeks, but the process of finalizing it took two and a half years, basically. And wow. um, unfortunately, it's like that. Yeah. If we had hmm. a permanent setup um, where we could just throw, throw out ideas permanently um we would be as productive as king gizzard i believe <laughs> yeah yep that's a yeah man they've come out with an absolute <laughs> belter of a doom metal track this week haven't they um yeah, yeah. Uh, a, just a different attitude bad. though i mean i listen to the ocean and i i think uh, uh, just landscapes and scenery and and um you know, they'll, I, I love about bands like King Gizzard that they'll throw anything at the wall and it's really interesting to see what they come out with and they just move on from it and put it aside. But I think, yeah. uh, you know, the long the longevity of what you guys do is really impressive. Um, got excited about King Gizzard and lost my train of thought here. <laughs> <laughs> Rips. That, so- K- that KG record is, is a really good album. Like I really, I really got into that big time that came out. Mm, yeah, the microtonal stuff as well really fascinates me. Yeah. The, um, the way that they, I think they've been pretty open about it before, that they like to have a gimmick. And I think Stu's come out and said every year he tried to learn a new instrument for the, the start phase of the band. And at a certain point, you know, he sort of ran out of things to pick up and learn that were quirky or people hadn't heard before. So he started microtonal guitar and he's done other things since then. And it's ob- yeah. it's it's interesting that it's a gimmick, but they do creative things with it, despite it being that way, you know? I think it's a lot more than that. Like I've, I've been listening to a lot of traditional Anatolian music and uh, know it from there. And um, the way they um, employ it in their songs is actually very nifty. And like, I don't, I don't think it's only a gimmick or maybe it's, you know, gone past that stage now. I actually yeah. have my own microtune guitar, which uh, my guitar uh, builder, um, 
Michel from Mosa Guitars in the Netherlands just completed. I have it at home now and I'm struggling to find my way around on the instrument and it's it's very challenging. It's um yeah, but it's also it, it it also might be opening up new doors for us. I mean, I I've always been a lot into oriental and anatolian music and and arab music and um there's so much cool shit going on there which uh, is challenging for our for our um european listening habits but i've always been intrigued by that whole realm so i'm gonna try to try to cope with that microtunal guitar now <laughs> well I'd, I'd love to hear that i think there um is it right to say that even across this phanerozoic and now holocene there's been moments where you've sort of dabbled a little bit in, in microtonality or at least have not been afraid of being a bit out of tune <laughs> in a very artistic way. Uh, I should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there is like these the, kind of like, let's just call them like Oriental influences on, on that album, but already on some previous records of ours as well. That's because like I said, I've always felt drawn towards that world, but it's all played with real guitars and just like bending to, you know, yeah. get the slightly out of tune vibes and, um, if you just have one string that is perfectly like that that quarter note, you know, out of tune, you can do different things with it. So it's uh, it's opening up a lot of new possibilities um, of of, um, of doing things, and yeah, I'm excited to start looking at that actually. Yeah, exactly. I think the the riff that comes to mind off this latest record is um, Parabiosis has where the the quite heavy mm-hmm. section comes in. There's a couple of bends where the the chords are changing and that chugging happens where it's very obvious you're just sort of letting it hang out a bit uh and it yeah. sounds so crushing and just disorienting and oh, i love it yeah 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 that's cool shit you can do with uh in- intentionally um playing certain notes out of tune while the rest of the you know the rest of the strings is perfectly in tune mm. the other thing that sort of came to mind listening through it is that People who liked, say, the enslaved side of the black metal era might be quite mm-hmm. a big fan of what you guys have done here. I felt that the riffs were obviously quite crushing. Uh, Atlantic comes to mind. Uh, incredible riff. That is just, like, devastating. But it doesn't have that traditional role of it uh, that it might have if you were writing in a more traditional rock and roll sense. It, it almost becomes uh, a dissociative a little bit in that you've got this very rich, spacious landscape of music going on and this riff cuts through it in a way that it's almost, it puts you somewhere delirious rather than makes you want to mosh, but it also does that. Um, it, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm waxing lyrical about this record a little bit. Um, just, uh, am, I, am, I on, am I on a bit of a wavelength with you with how that came about? Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I think to really fully uh, feel the impact of that part, um, you have to listen to not just the track Atlantic, but like the first three tracks that lead up to it. It's kind of like a, I think the dynamics of that record are greater than the sum of its parts, you know, mm. and that's why it was so difficult to pick singles as well, because not one single is representative of this album as a whole. So like when we started thinking about songs to premiere, we're always like, oh, but this doesn't give you the full picture of what this is all about, you know? And uh, at one point we just embraced that and we were like, okay, we're, we're going to confuse people with these singles, but, you know, let's just embrace that and, and deal with it. And um, yeah, I, th- I think that part, when that riff comes in, it's about 20 minutes into the record. Um, like 
the reason why it hits so heavy is because of everything that happened before, not just within the track, but like also the three previous tracks. Um, it, it's, it was a very difficult track to mix, uh, and specifically this part, because it's a single note riff, um, quite low tuned, but it's still just single notes. And even like when we doubled it twice, so we had like four guitars playing it, it's still, it still has that single note feel. And at the same time, the part before, which doesn't have any heavy guitars in it, is extremely orchestral. There's like a lot of brass going on, a lot of like very heavy low frequencies from the lower ranges of trombone and uh, and even tubes and things like that. So mm. it like for quite some time, it felt like the, the track is plunging into a hole there when the guitars come in, when it should be the moment when it's just like the heaviest part of the song. So we had to kind of like thin out the, the section before quite significantly in order to have that part be impactful and that was a bit challenging to get right but that's always the case when you uh, have very multi-layered tracks like this one there's like a lot going on it's it starts very minimal but then it's it's just layering and stacking of layer layer after layer layer upon layer and um sometimes you just overdo it you get to the point where you're like okay i have no i don't have the means here to add more to it I, that means i need to thin out what's already happened before and that was like a classic example for that moment during the mix and then you find yourself discarding ideas and just like things you've recorded that sound super great and you're like i'm sorry but this has to go because it's uh you know it's taking from the impact of the the next part in the track so that's yeah. all that's an interesting sometimes a bit frustrating part of uh of producing more than writing really you know because on the writing end um a lot of times you don't have all these things in, in your in your head when you think about them. So you need to actually start fleshing out the ideas in their final um in their final sound in order to to be able to understand that. So and that affects the writing because you go back to that process and you essentially cut out things that you were sure about were great, you know. So it's it's a very interesting process. Yeah, it's um it's a dark art when it comes to things like volume and, and terrace dynamics and the way that it contrasts with everything that's around it. You know, you can look at you look at a riff by Jimmy Page and in the context of one bass guitar and one drum, it sounds gigantic. You know, put the right fuzz pedal on it, whatever, it'll blow you away. Yeah. But if you put that in the middle of an orchestral part, it would suddenly sound like nothing because you've just got this massive, huge wall of sound to compare it to. And suddenly you realize it's not actually in that context as big as you thought it was outside of it um yeah yeah exactly that's exactly it yeah. yeah and uh one of the other things i wanted to touch on a little bit that i've been really curious about when it comes to the ocean in general is uh on this latest record in particular you touch on a couple of things about our attitudes towards death and the the some of the moral quandaries around medicine uh and the way that technology and all that's advancing and um Obviously, there's always been this contrast between scientific and between personal, between the big picture of human history and and day to day sorts of things that go on lyrically. And uh, of course, sometimes being too explicit about meanings ruins the uh, ruins the magic of it. So I'm not asking you to do that, but I, I'm curious to know how you pair things together when it comes to knowing that, okay, this particular song that represents a particular epoch or a particular layer of the ocean or a particular, does it match with a particular theme? Is that something that takes a lot of thought or does it, do you just let it happen and as it goes? 
In this case, on this record, we kind of just let it happen. It's it's in a way the least conceptual record lyrically, in that every track has its own agenda and its own topic. And um, in in a, like we use the Holocene theme as kind of like synonymous for the modern or more like the postmodern age, really. So all the all the songs mm. on that album deal with very uh, recent things we experienced during this weird time of the pandemic when the record was written mostly, and. Um, in a way that the fact that there is like a different kind of like um, thread or different topic for every track also represent, represents the uh, postmodern multitude of, uh, you know, opinions, perspectives and, and ideologies, basically. So it kind of makes sense from that angle as well. But uh, we really went um, song by song here. So like the way we usually compose vocals and, and then lyrics is that... Um, after the instrumental part of the music is completely done, Luik and me meet up and and we start um, just fooling around with parts. And that happens not in a chron- chronological order or like even, you know, it, it, we can start with track seven of the record and then go to back track three. So we're jumping back and forth depending on how we feel inspired. And um, sometimes Luik has ideas, sometimes I have ideas. And this all happens completely without lyrics. So he's just standing in his vocal booth, improvising and singing melodies and vocal lines uh, in something that is half English, half French, half uh, Dada. And um, when that is done and we agree on like a certain idea, that's the moment when I start writing lyrics. So then I write lyrics over the melodic arches that he wrote, basically the lines and, and, um, write something that fits in terms of phrasing, in terms of sound, because a lot of times, even if you sing a, a vowel that is like an A, and it, it sounds very different from finishing a word on an O, you know? So like, it's a lot of things you have to take into account, basically, when, when writing lyrics. And that's why it's one of the most complicated things for me and one of the least intuitive. It's really mathematics. You know, you have to pay attention to rhythm and rhyme and melody and even vocals, vocal sounds. And, uh, come up with something that still works and that's always like a huge challenge so um yeah so that's that's how we how we do this and um on this record particularly we were really going track by track and um kind of wanted every track to um stand on its own and um and and deal with uh its own topic obviously the ocean uh at a certain point as the Ocean Collective, and now I think you sort of dropped that label, but you've had a, a significant amount of members and collaborators over the years. Um, and I'm wondering about uh, the impact that that sort of diversity of musical and artistic influence has had on you guys and if uh, how you find it's changed as the lineup's more sort of stabilised today. Um, but obviously, you know, people find new music all the time as well, so it's not like any one individual has uh, static influences for their entire life. Yeah. Um, well, we still use the term collective um, to refer to all the people that are still a part of our group that are not on stage with us, you know? So like yeah. there's like the live crew, there's the people who do our videos and our artwork that are very important for what we do as artists. Um, like with Martin Kwame and Stefan Alt, we've been working for over a year on the, on the packaging and the album art. For me, that's um, almost... Uh, equally important as the music, you know, to find something really unique and groundbreaking there. And so these people, you will never see them on stage to us, but they're very important for what we do. So 
we refer to these as as still being part of the the larger ocean collective, and uh, so we still use that actually. But the band lineup has consolidated already years ago. Um, I think the last person that joined from the current lineup was David and he joined in 2016 so for seven years we've been playing with the exact same people and already before that for the past uh, 10 years we've been playing with mostly 80% the same people so um, I think that has changed the, the band massively because we all know each other a lot better now both as musicians as well as as individuals um, we all want the same thing which is very important which makes us strong and um which also makes us be able to find uh, like ways to go about the the usual difficulties that you run into when you spend half of the year together sitting in a nutshell van or bus, you know, and uh, <laughs> you need to find your and develop your strategies of dealing with each other and learning when it's time to take a step back in order to not start hating each other, which would be the end of the band. And everybody knows that and nobody wants that because we all love what we do. And we're very appreciative of this privilege that this band is, which allows us to travel and get paid for playing shows in Australia, for example, you know, which is fucking great. So at the end of the day, it's uh, important to remind yourself of that when you're tired and you're running into, uh, you know, these pity day-to-day things. And um, I think we've managed to do that very well. Uh, for a long time, I've had a really hard time with Luik and him with me, you know, like just getting along. And like now, like we've, put that behind us and we're just really good friends and and uh, managed to work it out and i think that's that's probably the greatest struggle of being in a band is to be able to deal with one another <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. that you know and uh, and once you've overcome that and you have a, a steady lineup and everybody knows their limits and everybody is genuinely appreciative of everyone else in the band then you become invincible and i feel that that's kind of what we've become already like a couple of years ago you know like we were all very sure that this is what we want to do with our lives for the foreseeable future and uh like right now when we're taking a break for half a year that's also very important you know to to give yourself space to just not see each other like i, I haven't seen um the rest of my bandmates in three months now and it's it's great you know and i'm looking forward to go, going out on tour again and uh, at the end of July, when we're going to start rehearsing, it's going to be awesome. Everyone's going to be fresh and looking forward to it. But it's very important to also have these uh, decisive, conscious breaks, you know. And mm. uh, so in many ways, I think we just figured out the right approach to to how um, how to do this. And that's what keeps us strong. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that's uh, it's quite a wise attitude you've got towards it there. Um You've also got a fair bit on your hands with Pelagic Records, am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, big congratulations on the new Herod release that's come out of that label. I have to say that as well as uh, what the Ocean have been doing has particularly blown me away. Um, but just in general, having such a solid label with such a uh, great lineup of bands, it's um, you've got a fair bit of music on your plate from the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, man, there's a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, coming out this year, we also just released the new Low record, mm. whom you might be familiar with. Great band from Sydney, um, yep. and we have a record by The Gorge coming out out of St. Louis in the states uh, called Mechanical Fiction. That's a brilliant record to check out for sure. Uh, coming out later in um, in June, 
And we pretty much have two releases per month coming up for the next, uh, yeah, until the end of the year. We have a vinyl subscription that allows you to get everything we release on vinyl for a flat rate every month. So that's why we keep our releases very steady at two releases per month, because that's kind of what our subscribers expect. And mm. uh, so, yeah, it's become a very um, solid and, and, uh, very time-consuming operation, which sometimes is hard for me to keep up with when I'm touring and I have to do the label work on the side. But uh, yeah, there's always a couple of hours when you're sitting in the bus, you know, and you will always find me working on my laptop then um, for Pelagic. And Paul as well. Like Paul, Ocean Drummer, also works for Pelagic, so we're both very involved. Yeah, very good. Well, I'll let you get back to your uh, I'll let you get back to your break there. Um, thank you very much for your time and chatting to us. And uh, I know there's plenty of us over here in Australia who are very keen to hear some of these new tracks and uh, Phenerozoic Two tracks live as well. Uh, sort of got robbed of that because of COVID, but so did plenty yeah. of the uh, the other parts of the world. Hey, exactly. Yeah, we haven't played Phenerozoic Two in Australia yet, so um, yeah. It, those tracks already feel old for us because we played 155 shows last year and we've been playing Jurassic Cretaceous as the closing track every single night. So by the time we got home from our European tour with Carnival, um, we were just like, fuck, it's time for something new now, you know. So it's, yeah. uh, it already feels like we've played them too long. But it's um, it's always been fun. And I, if we do come back to Australia, which we hopefully will next year, then um, we're definitely going to play some Fenrosoic 2 tracks for sure. Excellent. I'll look forward to it. Robin, thank you very much for uh, for joining us and I'll uh, see you when I see you. All right, man. Take care. Thanks for your time.